Hello and welcome back to episode four of the Booming Book Club. I hope you have all enjoyed a lovely Easter break. I know I certainly enjoyed lots of um, chocolate. Now every Easter, instead of getting a big Easter egg, my family have always given each other books. So I thought I'd just tell you what book I got this Easter. So my mum got me The Midnight Library by Matt Haig, which I'm sure will be appearing on this show at some point or another. Now, I don't know if any of you have read any Matt Haig books, but when I was in primary school, we actually read Shadow Forest by him. And I think that was probably one of the first few books that really sparked my love of literature. So I'm very excited to read that. I also want to read, I think it's called Reasons to Stay Alive or something by Matt Haig. And he just seems to be a really incredible author. So I have very high hopes of that. Now, the book we will be looking at in today's episode is... I would say my top three or top five books of all time and it is called One Day by David Nichols. Now I thought this was more well known than it actually was and I think a lot of people have actually seen the film and I think the film has put a lot of people off reading the book because the film was just not very good at all but I will be discussing that later on in the book in the podcast sorry but this book does get very good reviews However, annoyingly, I've noticed with many book reviews, I was looking for some quotes earlier to include them in the show, and all of the reviews just seem to summarise the book, whereas I would rather hear from a critical perspective, because if you're reading a book review, it's not because you just want to know about the plot, because then you could just read the book yourself. You know, you <laughs> if you're reading a book review, you want to know if it's good or not, so that was mildly irritating. But anyway, I guess that's why I have this podcast, so I can help you guys out. So I first heard about this book from my friend Isabel. I think when I was in year 12 at school, so I must have been 16 or 17, and she'd read it uh, a few years beforehand and she'd loved it. So I thought I'd give it a go and it was just, it blew me away. I think it is critically acclaimed and it's just such a tragic and heartbreaking book because it captures the everyday life. I think that's what makes it even more tragic because it's so realistic. It's definitely the best book I've read in terms of capturing people's true emotions as it doesn't sugarcoat anything. And I think it really is the perfect portrayal of two ordinary lives. It's quite refreshing. And whilst it is traumatic and sad, I think it is also comforting in this sense because it is ordinary life. Because, for example, a few weeks ago when I was reading The Hunger Games prequel, it was an amazing book and I really enjoyed it, but it's just so far-fetched from our normal life. I think it's very reassuring to read a book that captures feelings you've had yourself. I'm pretty sure there's a History Boys quote from Hector, um, who is a paedophile, so it is rather unfortunate to quote him. <laughs> but he said something along the lines of reading is as if a hand has reached out and taken your own. And this is a true embodiment of this quotation, I believe. Or at least I think so, because it I think it captures the sensation of falling in love and having a sort of slow burning romance. There's so many romance novels normally just have a fiery and very passionate love story whereas this one is over two decades which is quite incredible really I thought it would make the novel feel almost rushed trying to get to the end because it's over such a large period of time but I think Nichols handles it really well so I will just give a short synopsis of the book to give you a rough idea or to recap any listeners who may have read it a while ago like I did. So One Day is a romantic novel by David Nichols that spans the breadth of 20 years of the lives of Emma Morley 
and Dexter Mayhew. It revisits them on the same day every year to see where they are in life. So they met at the University of Edinburgh and they have a one-night stand and then spend the day after together. But the evening has lasting implications for both of them as each falls for the other, but neither one, for various reasons, is poised to commit to the other. For the next 20 years, their paths cross time and time again, between bad relationships, failed startups, heartache, loss and joy. Emma and Dexter have their ups and downs. Emma struggles with her self-confidence and having to dream a little smaller, while Dexter faces internal demons in drugs and alcohol. Dexter even gets married and has a daughter, Jasmine, but the marriage is loveless. Following Peter's, following Dexter's divorce, sorry, Dexter and Emma finally commit to a relationship in 2001 in Paris. They spent the next two years together happily. Dexter opens a cafe and gets his life back on track, while Emma comes into her own as a novelist and a screenwriter for a children's show. They move in together and get married. They also decide to have a baby, but tragedy strikes. While biking and heading out to meet Dexter at the house they want to look at to buy, Emma is struck by a car and killed. The novel ends with Dexter reflecting on the first night and day that he and Emma spent together when he gives his phone number to Emma so that she will call him and stay in touch. So I would like to say I didn't write that summary myself, I found it on a website, so if you want me to link the website, I can. Um, but as you can see, obviously you look at infertility, divorce, death, being a student, navigating the years just after university, it, there really is something in the book for everybody, so I think... It is a type of book that you can read at many ages and get something different from it each time. I know that I've sort of found it not a deeper meaning, so I don't want to undermine people that are younger, but reading it a few years on, I've found different meanings in it from when I read it when I was 16 or 17. So both Dexter and Emma face very challenging and loveless relationships, which I will look at in more detail a bit later. But it's interesting that they both have to go through these relationships in order to then end up together. And something I really want to emphasise from the start of this episode is, I think, Nichols's main message in the book, which is, you know, time is precious. Just love who you can whilst you can. And I'm not saying that Emma and Dexter didn't do that because I think perhaps they didn't realise how much they loved each other when they first met. And that's why they didn't get together and stay together then as opposed to 20 years later when they eventually see each other. But I think on both of their parts, they wasted a lot of time in loveless relationships. For example, Emma with Ian, Dexter with Sylvie, because I think, as I discussed later with Isabel, he really does marry Sylvie just because they're having a baby, which I thought was quite an outdated ideal. But I think because he's been in the public eye and... He just so wanted to do good and have a happy family that he was almost kidding himself that he would be happy if he married her and if they played happy families. Um, But I will now be joined by my lovely friend Isabel, who, as I said, first introduced me to this book. Now, I think I actually found my copy in a charity shop in Durham. What I found kind of startling at this charity shop was there were about four copies of one day. And I was like, why are they throwing away so many copies? Do people really not like it that much? Because I thought it was so good. Often charity shops aren't the best place to look for books because obviously if you enjoy a book, you're going to keep it because it's a good book. So I was rather surprised when one day was there, but we're saving the planet one book at a time, I suppose. I think Isabel actually wrote about this for her A-level coursework. I think she compared it to Far From the Madden Crowd by Thomas Hardy and... 
I've seen, I think it was on Goodreads or something, somebody was comparing Hardy's use of fate and Nichols's use of fate. And apparently Nichols found Hardy to be very inspiring and took a lot of inspiration from his novels, which I think you can see in one day because the whole novel is based around fate. It's all leading down to the one day that Emma dies because she dies on the same day. Um, so it's quite interesting to come back and read Far From the Madding Crowd in relation to one day and just see the similarities. Also, obviously, generations and generations apart, but I think it is still very relevant all the same. So you're now be talking to Isabel. Okay, so I'm now joined by Isabel, who was the first person that actually told me about this book, because I think you read it quite a few years before me. Yeah, um, probably when I was about 16, yeah. About I feel like 40. it's the type of book that you can read at different ages and really get something different out of it. Yeah, I, I would like to read it again at some point. There's, Same. There's you can miss the first time, I think. How did you first find out about it? Was it just lying around your house? Or? Yeah, it was. I it was always just lying around and I picked it up and read the blurb and actually thought, hey, I could read that. That's quite good. It was a nice break from um, GCSE revision, so. Yeah, it's like, I think it's a very well-written book, but it is also quite an easy read, which is nice. Yeah, it definitely is. A holiday read, I think. Would you say that it is one of your favourite books of all time? or? I think so, although I haven't read nearly as many books as I would like to. Yeah. So it's really hard to say um yeah but yeah I would say so I would recommend it to everyone yeah I I would think it's something that everybody would like because mm. it's such a good portrayal of everyday life I suppose I think that's how you first described it to me yeah it's very realistic I think and we all know someone mm-hmm. who's like to the main characters I think yeah definitely so do you have a favorite character this was hard <laughs> but <laughs> I would say Emma because yeah, same. I think she's just so quietly brilliant, like intelligent, funny, but she never takes up too much space. Mm-hmm. She's always allowing other people to kind of run the show whenever she's in a conversation or something. Um, that goes for her relationships a lot of the time, which I think can sometimes be the downfall. Mm-hmm, but, like Ian. Yeah. I do kind of have a soft spot for Ian in a weird way. Yeah. I was going to choose him. But mm. like they're definitely not right for each other but I think at the end of the book he helps Dexter after Emma dies or something like he yeah. like yeah. sneaks him out which I think is such a sweet thing to do because yeah, he no. resented Dexter so much because he knew I think throughout their relationship that Emma didn't truly love Ian um, he, even though we love Emma yeah. Ian does better than Emma <laughs> because yeah. she yeah, he was just lovely, wasn't he? Like at the restaurant, I found it kind of funny reading the restaurant stories because obviously we've both worked in restaurants and cafes and stuff. So, yeah, it it really made me laugh, some of them. It's kind of nice to have the comedic parts because it is quite an intense book sometimes, I think. Definitely. I think what I like about it as well is he's the author isn't afraid to show their flaws. Like, I think the reason it's so hard to find a main character, not a main character, your favourite character is because all of them come across as so flawed and sort of nasty at times. But I think that's kind of the point. Yeah. It, I like that 
he doesn't write women as like you know the manic pixie dream girl trope or anything <laughs> really yeah I do so do you have a favorite uh part of the book um yeah i think it's when um do you know when they go for the fancy meal Dexter and emma um because he's trying to show off new you know wealth um and he after just talking about himself for the whole night he eventually asks her yeah so how's the teaching going and he begins to tell him and he says oh you know what they say uh those who can do those who can do those who can't teach and she says and those who teach say go f yourself (laughs) that was a really brilliant moment because He's just been sitting there taking all of this yeah. rubbish from him and had enough. I think that's quite an important turning point for Emma where she begins to like realise her self-worth. Because I can't yeah. remember where it is in the timeline of her relationship with Ian. I can't remember if they've broken up at that point or not, but I think it kind of kicks her into gear and sorting her life out in a way. Mm. Um, yeah. But I would quite like to go to the restaurant. I don't know if it's a real place, but... <laughs> I think it'd be interesting to see. It sounds kind of whack. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But shall we take a minute to talk about the film? Yeah. (sighs) It has to be addressed. (laughs) Don't get me wrong. Have you already talked about it in in the rest of the podcast? No, I haven't actually. (laughs) Because again, you were the person who told me about the film to begin with and I love Anne Hathaway. I think she's normally <laughs> a good actor, but my God. is Why did they cast her? I know. She cannot do a northern accent to save her life. I mean, to begin with, she's American, isn't she? So Yeah. And she, she's just not how she's described in the... No. In the described, I think, as being quite like... A, a, yeah. In, in <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's not too important arguably no. but it's just not how I imagined her to be no but no I I feel like the film was a bit rushed there were a lot of moments missed out you don't really get the characters um yeah because the most important the most important part of the book is how in-depth you get to know the characters and the like layers of them yeah exactly and I it's kind of just turned into a rom-com which don't get you yeah. Uh, yeah, it's just not that true to the book, in my opinion. However, I did like the casting of Dexter and Ian. Mm-hmm. It's exactly how I imagined Ian to be. Yeah. He did it such a good job. So natural. I think they could have... Because the book is so popular in itself, I think the film would have still done really well if they hadn't turned it into a rom-com and if they've still kept it true mm-hmm. to the book. It's as if the people that wrote the script didn't even read the book i don't know if david nichols had a say in the film or not but Hmm. i'll be interested to find out because i'm i'm feeling he didn't i don't know he does screenwriting but i don't know if he did that oh true yeah he's normally a screenwriter uh so have you read one of his other books yes i read us that's the front cover of this i think yeah (laughs) um it (laughs) It was okay. <laughs> I definitely preferred it one day. Mm-hmm. Um, no wonder that that's his, you know, most popular book. Um, yeah, it was about it was a, 
similar in the sense that it showed a relationship over time um and it just slowly decaying <laughs> it was, it, there was a lot less hope than in one day yeah was that yeah. written after one day I, th- I think so uh well I mean I don't want to be cynical but it's kind of as if one day did so well he was like right let's try and make some more money um Ooh. but no I yeah I'm, I need to give it a read actually because I've only really heard of one day by him I don't think he's written that many novels um no. But I was quite impressed with how in-depth and naturalistic this book is because compared to screenwriting, I think it is very different. It's a very different style of writing, obviously. So yeah, I think it's impressive that he's managed to do it justice. I think we get to know the characters really well as well because um, it's from a third-person perspective mm-hmm. and also omniscient. So I think we can see inside all of the characters' heads. And how they perceive other people. Yeah. So do you feel sympathetic towards Dexter? It's a very loaded question. <laughs> I not really. Mm-hmm. Um I, I I think in some parts of the book you you're meant to like him when he's having a hard time. Fair enough, you know? <laughs> but for a lot of the time he's really really thoughtless mm-hmm. and i am surprised that emma sticks around a lot of the time same because when he's doing the drugs and alcohol obviously you can't really help addiction so then i did feel really sympathetic towards him but the mm-hmm. times just before and just after that when he sort of got his life back on track and he's still being horrible i don't feel sympathy towards him no um, i mean i bad when his mum died sure <laughs> <laughs> anyone would because were his family quite well off anyway I think so yeah actually whereas Emma came up from I think quite a different background and she's sort of managed to make something of herself and I think Dexter just kind of wallows in his wealth he doesn't do anything instrumentally good with it his dad is disappointed that he's selling himself out on these trashy tv shows yeah like, it's not that trashy TV shows are bad, but I feel like do something else alongside it or, like, do some more good. Don't just go binge drinking every night, you know? Yeah. I found it quite shocking when um, he married... Is it Sylvie or Sylvia? Sylvie, I think. And they had a child. I did not see that coming. No. Like, him as a dad. And she was very different to Emma. He, mm. he always chose women that would really just kind of shallow like he went out with Suki I guess that's kind of the point in a way is that he didn't want anybody that reminded him too much of Emma because he couldn't be with Emma but Mm, that's interesting I don't know um do you think Dexter is correct in saying that Emma is scared of being happy I think so and that kind of goes into the question of did Emma really love Ian because Mm -hmm. he was a safe option in my opinion she he was a shoulder to cry on when her life wasn't going too well (laughs) yeah he wasn't really happy in that situation I think she knew that she'd always have Dexter at the back of her mind Mm -hmm. but yeah she I don't know what what did he mean by that I can't remember 
it's as if by like dating Ian, she's fulfilling the sort of archetypical role of life. Like you meet somebody, you move in together, you fall in love. Mm-hmm. So I think she was almost trying to force the love. And I think yeah. quite a long part of the novel, she's in denial that she doesn't love Ian. Like it's almost as if she's trying to persuade herself. Do you mean Dexter? No, like she's trying to persuade herself that she does love Ian. Oh, right. She does love said. Dexter. Um, yeah. But clearly she does just love Dexter all along. I think she is just very unhappy for most of the novel. Yeah. And you know how she says um, at the end of the dinner with Dexter, um, I love you so much, I just don't like you anymore. Mm-hmm. I think it's the opposite for Ian. She likes him, but she doesn't love him. him. Yeah, and there's such a difference <laughs> between the two. Yeah kind of never satisfied i feel like they'd be very good friends yeah like if emma hadn't died i could see them sort of reuniting and being really like i think they bounce off each other quite well um yeah but i think yeah there was a lack of chemistry between her and ian Mm -hmm. i remember her describing the way he would like walk around the flat (laughs) just in his underwear and be kind of repulsed yeah god (laughs) <laughs> is that what is this it <laughs> is this what my life has come to yeah it felt and very she would just yeah felt very middle-aged and I think they were in their mm-hmm. 20s at that point it was like a stale marriage and she would just be laughing like politely at his jokes that he would yeah. try out because he was trying to be a comedian and she just didn't find him funny she yeah. didn't laugh like she laughed with Dexter it wasn't natural at all were you yeah. happy when their relationship ended then yeah it was meant to happen it felt like a long time coming. Yeah. It it wasn't really sustainable. But... <laughs> it always felt like a sort of distraction in the book from Emma and Dexter. It was like they need Emma and Ian needed to be together in order for Dexter and Emma to be together, I think. Yeah. And I think they bonded when they worked in that uh, Mexican restaurant together. Mm. And that what kind of spark like made them want to be together because they were kind of unhappy in this kind of dead-end job and yeah they just made each other feel a bit better and I think that was the extent of their relationship yeah it's kind of sad because they were so unhappy in that job it's like maybe we'll be happy together but that would just not work so (laughs) the moment they moved in it went south (laughs) I think even before that you could sense the doom like (laughs) hanging over them yeah um, so do you think Emma and Dexter would be happy if they were dating from sort of the outset or do you think they needed to be friends before they could be romantically involved? I think when they they got together at the right time, which is mm-hmm. just what Emma unfortunately dies, <laughs> um, they, it's established when they first meet in Edinburgh that they want different things in their future, mm-hmm. wants to travel Emma wants to, you know, work on her career and she's thinking long term, he's thinking short term. So it's not surprising that they they spend a lot of time apart. Mm-hmm. The best, yeah. Yeah, because I suppose Dexter is able to travel because he has that wealth in his background. It enables yeah. him to do that, whereas Emma has no choice but to start working. Mm. So I think he doesn't really seem to understand that. No, he doesn't understand what it's like to be poor. Um but it's interesting that they have obviously a sexual relationship to begin with and then it 
changes into friendship for so many years but I feel like there is always a sort of underlying tension I think it's very interesting that Nichols decided to make like they met at the very end of university Mm. Uh, they had a one-night stand and then they became friends for years it is a very odd concept I can't imagine it myself (laughs) oh it's very interesting Mm. (laughs) yeah um, no, as as we were talking about, his his taste in just everything changed so much over those years. So if they had been in a relationship, they would have been unhappy, especially mm. everything. Even though they always had each other at the back of their minds. Yeah, they, would they like, definitely would have broken up if they'd been together at that time. Yeah. I think they both had a lot more sort of growing and maturing to do. Because Dex's yeah. outlook on life completely changes. Because he ends up running, is it a little cafe or shop or something? And yeah, that's like a million yeah. miles away from the show he was on. Yeah, he he changes. He matures. He's realised, like, okay, I want a simple life. Mm-hmm. Everything's going well, but that doesn't last long, unfortunately. So you do think, oh, well, if they just stayed together all these years, like, could they have been really happy together? Mm. But you just don't know. I think their perspectives on marriage changes as well, because they go to quite a few weddings together, I think. Oh, yeah. Um, and then I remember they say, oh, I don't know why people get married. It's just an excuse to have a big party. And then when Dexter and Emma get married, they say, oh, it's nice, isn't it? Because we can just have a big party. And it's like they've become what they hated when they were younger. Yeah. Which is kind of funny. But I guess we all do to an extent. <laughs> um mm-hmm. I think Emma goes to Dexter's and Sylvie's wedding and she's yeah. quite upset. And I think they share a moment where it's like, oh, was this a mistake? And then I think we go on to the next year. So I think it's quite clear that Dexter only marries Sylvie because of the child. Yeah. I think it's a similar situation to Emma and Ian where she's just trying to convince herself that she loves him. Yeah. I think in a way, though, Sylvie helps Dexter's character development in the sense that she kind of forces him to take responsibility. Yeah. The child, the... Sylvie's very rules-based. She mm-hmm. doesn't like any spontaneity. She's very organised. I think that, to an extent, does rub off on Dexter. Yeah. And also because, obviously, she has the affair... I think in a horrible way it does do Dexter some good because it finally shows him how he's been treating other people all this time. Yeah. So as horrible as it is, he got what's coming to him. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, so rather obscure question, but I assume you've seen When Harry Met Sally. I think so, yeah. But I know the premise. Yeah. So uh, do you think a single man and a single woman can ever truly be just friends or does one of them always want more? Maybe I'll have a more informed answer in 10 or 20 years. (laughs) (laughs) Very young. But I think if it's clear that there's no attraction or ambiguity from the start, then yes. Mm -hmm. Um, That doesn't mean that something won't develop. But if you make a conscious effort to not plant any seeds, (laughs) then they won't grow. But it's a tough question because friendships do often turn into relationships and sometimes I think that is the best way that they can happen. Oh, definitely, yeah. 
it de- it depends also whether you're used to having friends of the opposite sex. Mm-hmm. That I think that's quite healthy. And there's a lot of people talking at the moment about um, it's quite maybe controversial, but it's it's healthy because ideally that it means that, for example, a man can care about a woman and be close to her without expecting more. Mm-hmm. Um, because a lot of men seem well, not a lot. Some men <laughs> seem to struggle having platonic female friends and think that they can try it on with every woman in their friend group. <laughs> and it can really ruin things. So, oh. Yeah. I think it's quite interesting with this book as well, because they start obviously with a sexual relationship and then become friends. It's like they've done it the opposite way round. Yeah. So it's kind of weird that it comes full circle in a way. Obviously, it's not as base and shallow as their first encounter, but it is kind of strange how sick book all the book is, I suppose. Yes. I wonder how common that is for, like, to be in that order, like, starting off as something casual and then actually... Yeah, I can't see it being <laughs> common. Because <laughs> I think, do they meet at the graduation ceremony or after drinks or something? Yeah. So it's effectively like meeting in a club, I suppose. Yeah. And then they know they're going to go off to their own like homes. I don't know. Is he from London and she's from Yorkshire? Yeah. They're not really going to see each other again. Oh, at least that's what they think. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> Boom. <See you> later. <laughs> I don't, this might be a bit of a weird question, but do you think Emma needed to die in the book? Like, do you think it's an integral part of it? I think so, yeah, because um, if you remember the structure, it's uh, we see one year of their lives, whether they're, you know, still in contact or not. Mm -hmm. On the 15th of July every year, we're shown a snapshot, snapshot, and then we find out that that is the day that Emma dies. And I think that... Yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. I think... It does, it is effective because you're kind of, I felt myself thinking, where is this book going at the end? I'm a bit mm-hmm. bored now. Like, I feel like everything's happened. They yeah. were happy. And even though I, I don't want her to die, they were happy. It's It does put everything into perspective and make you think, wait, they've kind of wasted a lot of time. And mm-hmm. She spent so much time being unhappy. Like what? could have gone differently i think that's what nichols is trying to get across throughout because yeah. like time is fleeting yes um yeah i guess the whole book is basically a countdown to her death yeah i suppose that's why it's called one day yeah oh it kind of gives me the shivers when i think about it <laughs> yeah so sort of to sum up why is it one of your favorite books like overall I find it really interesting seeing people's lives over so many years. Mm-hmm. It, Like we were saying, it really does help you get to know the characters. And I kind of missed them when I finished the book, which I definitely Ooh. didn't get from the film. Because um, <laughs> it's just the little small details that make them who they are. Mm-hmm. And they really seem like real people. And I, I just find that really attractive in a book. It makes me want to keep reading. Definitely with them whilst it's not as exciting as like a thriller or like 
in the film it's not like an action film or anything I think because it is in such detail it makes it more readable and it still has the I don't know if anticipation is the right word but it makes you want to keep reading because you feel so invested in that it's like with your friends you want your friends to succeed and I think they feel as if they are your friends yeah definitely and I found myself laughing as well at some bits Mm. just yeah shocking moments that I just didn't expect because you might think it's quite a safe read going in but oh sometimes it doesn't go the way you want it to go or the way you think it's going to go no I found it quite frustrating in parts actually all right which which bits I think when Emma was just staying with Ian and I was like mate oh. just please <laughs> for all... you don't love him yeah <laughs> um and like when Emma's in the traveling theater company I found that quite interesting from a drama perspective obviously you're in a theater company now as well so it's quite funny reading those bits because it's quite relatable um, <laughs> I wonder what their university life was was like as well. Mm. We don't we don't see that bit. No, I kind of wanted to because obviously I'm at Edinburgh Uni as well. It was quite nice reading the bits that I see. Um, but I think it was written early two thousands. I want to say yes. So it's interesting how attitudes have somewhat shifted now as well. Uh, yeah, and yeah, they don't have phones and stuff. Well, they have yeah. they have phones, but not in the way that we have them. They don't have social media. Yeah, that so is they mad. Have to make more of an effort to talk to each other. If they'd lost that piece of paper with the telephone number on it, it's not like they could just look them up on Facebook or something. Yeah. It's kind of mad. <laughs> Need it more kind of romantic. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on and speaking today, Isabel. I think it's always nice when it's somebody's favourite book. Um, yes it's been a pleasure thank you for having me thank you so thank you very much to Isabel for joining us today uh she's actually in Bristol at the moment so it's a bit of a long way to go in actually um record with her in person but as ever it's lovely to have a guest with us so you're not just stuck with my voice all the time um so some of the context we will now look at with the book and sort of David Nichols's own background and how this has influenced the book. So for me personally, as you know, I'm an English literature student at the University of Edinburgh, so I found it very interesting reading the beginning of the book, which is set in Edinburgh, and then later on when they come back to Edinburgh. I think it felt like a very accurate portrayal of the uni here, and Arthur's seat is very significant in a lot of students' lives, I think. I, I know I've been off it so many times at this point. Um, So I thought it was nice that Nichols included this and it was actually true because I think it would be easy with Edinburgh to be very presumptuous about what students do, like going around the castle all day, every day. But, well, I think it's bad luck to go around the castle anyway. Um, And also what he noted about the contrast of the new town and old town. Because I personally don't tend to go to new town that much because I don't really live near there. Um, So for me, I don't think about new town as much. Old town is really where I spend most of my time and it seems to be the same in the book here. So when I was looking at David Nichols's life and sort of his background I found it so cute and interesting to find that he went to college with uh, Colin Firth. I mean it's not surprising that two legends were friends and that they were both so successful and I stupidly forgot to write down the name but I believe they actually worked on a project together. I think it was like a 
a film or a script or something, um, which I really need to look into because Colin Firth is just incredible. So I was very happy to learn about that. Um, now, Nichols himself actually played some small roles as an actor in his 20s, which I think is interesting as you can see the parallels between him and Emma as just after Gemma, Gemma, sorry, just after Emma leaves university, she actually joins a traveling theater company. So I would assume that many of the stories in here about that theater company are from his own experiences. Isabel and I said, it's kind of interesting from an acting background ourselves, reading about all the wacky things that go on. Um, as it allows for some comedic relief and captures the I think the confusion of the years just after you graduate, because Emma obviously is thrown straight into work because Dexter's wealth allows him to enjoy himself and have a truly sort of hedonistic few gap years, whereas Ed, Emma is chained to capitalism, even though she despises it more and she's the one that sort of strives to make the world a better place, but she can't almost break away from it because she can't afford to, which is really sad, like reading the passages when she's a waitress at the restaurant, I found really hard. Because um, you just sort of want to say to her, like, it will get better. But I guess that's the price of living in London, isn't it? It's so expensive and so... just such an extortionate way of life. It feels quite rat racy, in a sense, I suppose. So whilst you can see some parallels between Nichols and... Um, like him and Emma, he has explicitly stated on multiple occasions that the book is not based on any woman in his life, but rather his love affair with Edinburgh itself, which I think I can believe because anybody that's visited Edinburgh, I think it's safe to say it has a very lasting impression on you. Um, is you know it's just so beautiful. I haven't really seen a city like it. I've always said Edinburgh is kind of like the Paris of the UK. Uh, I, I don't know if anybody else thinks that, but yeah, Nichols seemed to just love the city and it is a place with so many beautiful hidden gems. You can kind of see how Emma incorporates this into her character because I think she has many layers and she takes a while to understand. And I think as the book comes on, we see such a beautiful character development with her. Um, it really does. It It's a lot deeper than you first think when you're reading the book. It covers a lot more than I originally thought it would. So my favourite part of the book, I would have to say, is when Dexter travels to Paris to visit Emma. It feels like a scene from a rom-com. And I know you might be like, well, the book is a rom-com, but it feels like so much more than that because it's so realistic. It made it feel like it was happening in real life. So I think because Nichols' writing is so realistic, it just felt, it felt like I was being chased after. You know, I want to be chased to Paris one day. It is the city of love after all. And I think that, for me at least, felt like a really a really prominent turning point for Dexter becoming a functioning and decent adult. At this point, I think he'd been divorced. Sylvie had cheated on him. You know, he's got a daughter. He has responsibilities now. His mum's died. He's faced so much trauma. And, I mean, don't get me wrong, some of it has been brought on by himself. I think he chased a bit of a baseless and shallow career to put it bluntly, um, but him coming to Paris to sort of kick his butt into gear, it shows that he's really grown up, I would say. So I'm hoping 
if there was a sequel, which I knew there wouldn't be, but I think it would show that Dexter would actually be a really good dad after Emma dies. I think he's grown up enough that he would really put Jasmine's needs first, which I think is very important in a, a parent, obviously. Um, but I think we covered this briefly with Isabel, but the third person narrative really does allow us to learn more about the characters. I think it's extraordinary that Nichols is able to capture 20 years of their life without the novel feeling sparse. Because you, obviously it doesn't talk about every day in detail, but because a lot of them are letters, it you feel as though you get the really important bits and the sort of nonsense that some novels have is left out, which I find quite refreshing. And it's still, over the 20 years, you still learn about Dexter and Emma in such great detail that you feel like you are their friend, which I think is really nice. Um, and it has such intimate detail, it does feel like they're a part of your life. I almost felt lonely when I finished reading it. I'm hesitant to reread it again because when you know what's coming, when you know that Emma's going to die, almost makes it more tragic in a sense because when when I first the book when I first read the book, I definitely got a sense that something big was coming at the end. There was going to be some almost tragic event, and it did feel like I was counted down to that. But when you read it, knowing what happens, it makes it even sadder because you just want her and Dexter to be happy. You're sort of willing for Emma to break up with Ian and it when you see Dexter join the TV station and to begin with it seems like everything's going so well with him and then you obviously start to see things begin to fall apart for him and whilst things do get better for Dexter he reaches such a low point in order to get better I think he really does reach rock bottom which is a shame I think of him and Emma had been closer rather than Dexter letting his vanity get in the way, I don't think he would have reached such a low point. Not that it's Emma's responsibility to ensure he doesn't reach a low point, but I think she certainly would have helped, I guess we could say. So I will now look at some more quotes and analyse in depth. So the first quotation is, he wanted to live life in such a way that if a photograph were taken at random, it would be a cool photograph. So this clearly portrays Dexter's toxic relationship with the UK press and the pressure of TV. It's as if he almost doesn't care that people think he's insufferable. I think around the middle of the book, when Dexter's on the TV show, there's loads of uh, like a newspaper articles that are talking about him being the most irritating man on TV. And it, it must obviously eat away at him on the inside, but he's very good at not showing it. I think he's got to the point where he just doesn't care anymore, which is almost more concerning than somebody caring because it almost shows that he's just completely given up which is slightly terrifying um the next quote is dexter i love you so much so so much and i probably always will i just don't like you anymore i'm sorry now this is what emma says to dexter there i think you could say iconic dinner where he's doing all kinds of drugs he's just talking about himself as as was saying earlier and it it shows they have such an unconditional type of love because something it's something that will always be there regardless of time or space or if they're seeing other people their love is something that has like withstood the test of time i suppose um so i think it's a really important quote to remember especially when they have hiccups later on even when they are together and they're finally romantically involved it's always important to remember that quote that they will always love each other 
and they're not even married at this point so I think it goes to show how strong their friendship base is because not many relationships I would say are based on such a strong foundation of friendship this leads on quite well into the next quotation which I think shows Emma's character progression she fiercely says I'm not the consolation prize Dex I'm not something you resort to I happen to think I'm worth more than that it's so beautiful to see Emma's character arc as she slowly learns to value her self-worth as it's almost as if when she's dating Ian for so long it's Oh, Ian is lovely. I have a soft spot for Ian, but she can do so much better than Ian, but it's as if she doesn't think she deserves it. And I think that's why she stays with him for so such a long time. Because she can't see her life going in any other direction. And I think because she wasn't born into wealth, she doesn't see herself as being worth much. I could be reading into it too much, but it's like when she ends things with Ian, she begins to find more worth in life. Like with the school play and she becomes a teacher, she gets so much joy out of that. But she, I don't think she even got paid for doing the play and it shows that when she can see an end in sight, it all sort of slips into place for her. She finds a more organic and sustainable kind of happiness to Dexter because Dexter's is obviously all based on instant gratification and the figures of his TV programme. Another one, which is potentially the most famous quote from the whole novel is... You can live your whole life not realising that what you're looking for is right in front of you. I think people often quote this without realising it's from one day, actually. And I think it's quite a good quote to sum up the entire novel. Because obviously, Dexter and Emma have always been friends. They always will be friends. And then obviously they reach the relationship on their romantic capacity. But 20 years is a long time. I think it's quite rare for somebody to be in your life for that long that's not your mum or dad or sibling or something. So... I think it's basically telling you to open your eyes to other people you love when you love them, even in terms of just a platonic relationship. You know, I think my flatmates get sick of me just coming and hugging them all the time because I just have so much love to give. And I think Nichols really wants us to appreciate that and not be scared of sharing it for fear of rejection because at the end of the day, rejection is a temporary thing, but the happiness you could get from it could be so fruitful and worth it. It's pointless to be scared. Another quite famous quotation is, whatever happens tomorrow, we had today, and I'll always remember it. I think this is such a tragic quote after learning that Emma dies, because Dex is is basically saying that Dex will always remember their day after graduation when they go up Arthur's seat, and I think it's so lovely that he takes Jasmine to Arthur's seat, and they have such a lovely day together. And I think whilst Emma's not Jasmine's biological mother, she allows him to feel closer to Emma in a sense because their familial bonds and the uh, paternal instincts he feels towards her I think are something that Emma would obviously value very deeply so I think it makes him feel as if he's doing a good job I guess you could say and Arthur's seat really does seem to encapsulate the first happiness they felt together now the next quotation I find quite funny because I think it is just a good mantra to live by and it says if you have to keep a secret it's because you shouldn't be doing it in the first place. I think it's just such a pithy remark and it's sort of comedic lines like this that show how Nichols has a background as a screenwriter as opposed to a classical novelist because obviously on screen it's very different you need more pithy remarks you don't have descriptions to rely on you don't have long long paragraphs with elaborate writing 
and so obviously moving to writing a novel must have been very challenging for him but this just shows how nestled in amongst the heartbreak he really has succeeded in creating a very funny book and I know his other books uh classes comedies whereas I think this is more of like a tragedy I guess you could say so one of the final quotes I will be looking at is this one so whatever happened to you life life happened and in this sentence it's life full stop life happened and I think these two short sentences they're so emphatic it sort of summarizes how much tragedy both Dexter and Emma end up facing I mean Dexter alone faces such irrevocable trauma after Emma dies but even when they're both still alive they have still faced a very tumultuous life and I think it's just so sad that this doesn't go into specifics it just sums up his life in general which is so tragic because life should be such a beautiful thing and yet for them it's just teamed with trauma and associated with that but I think when Dexter opens the cafe and takes steps away from the limelight and learns to listen to Emma and sort of appreciate her more this wouldn't be the same remark but if it's only after going through their own trauma that they can end up together so in a way you could perceive the trauma as a blessing because it enables them to end up with one another but actually going through the trauma in the first place must is just obviously horrific so I hope for Dexter's sake he learns how to deal with it after the end of the novel because he deserves happiness after such a challenging life you know whilst he grew up wealthy he still had his issues you know bit of an absent father tumultuous relationship with his parents it nobody's life is perfect at the end of the day so my music recommendation for this week might be slightly odd there are quite a lot that i could have chosen for this book because it's over such a large time frame i think many different albums are applicable for it and many different genres of music really but the one I've chosen is actually the re-recording of Taylor Swift's Fearless. I'm sure you've all heard it by now. It's so good. I wasn't really much of a Taylor Swift fan at all this year, and I've realised I absolutely love her. I think because she has such a good range of songs, like part of the reason I've chosen this album is because it fits the nostalgia of the novel, because I listened to Fearless probably when I was at primary school or just started at secondary school, I want to say. So it fits the nostalgia of the novel as it starts when Emma and Dexter are quite young, obviously 20 years ago, and then ends with them being grown up. And I think because it has a mix of like sad ballads and poppy bops, it really does fit every mood. So whilst you're reading the novel, it's good to have to um, you know, fit the comedy of the novel as well as the tragic moments. Like 15, I think would be good for when uh, Dexter's getting divorced. Because I think it's the first time he feels heartbreak in a sense. Because I don't know if he truly loves Sylvie, but I think he's definitely heartbroken by their family splitting up and their marriage breaking down, even if it's not a completely romantic heartbreak. So the overall message of the novel is... It just reminds us that life is fleeting and to appreciate every person and every moment. And I think the title of the book also encapsulates this because one day it's like just take every day one day at a time rather than sort of getting too wrapped up in the future and just learning to enjoy the present, which 
I don't get me wrong, I'm completely hopeless at doing that, but you know, we're here to learn. And I think it's through books like this that it does allow you to start doing that. Um, because literature is one of the greatest learning tools. Because I think reading is quite a personal and intimate thing, especially with this book, because it feels like you're their friend. It feels like a very special and not sacred, but a very intimate experience. So I think it's very good at teaching in this book. I think a quote that perfectly sums up the book is this. Cherish your friends, stay true to your principles, live passionately and fully and well. Experience new things, love and be loved if you ever get the chance. So as I've been saying throughout the novel, you know, tell people you love them. If it goes well, amazing. If it doesn't, it is not the end of the world. You know, there's so many good things for life and love seems to be at the base of it all, whether it's love with your family or your friends or your pets. You know, I love my guinea pigs. And they're pets, and I can't imagine my life without them now. And that's such a small part of my life, but they make it so much happier. I think it's important to register and recognise what allows you to feel loved and enjoy life, rather than just sort of blasting through thinking only romantic love holds value, because that's not the case. Because Dexter and Emma, whilst they have romantic feelings in the background, they have such a strong friendship all those years, and they say that they love each other even as friends. And I do believe... They see that as a, a friendship thing, not a... There's no romantic feelings there, I wouldn't say. So I I honestly would love to sit down and have a long talk with David Nichols. I think he would have the best life advice ever, considering how well this uh, book is written and the comedic aspects. I think he'd have some hilarious anecdotes. And I think I feel as though he's seen some things. I don't know. I think he's just had a really interesting life. I couldn't find out that much about him actually, which makes me find him even more interesting. I think it's the mystery of it, whereas so many celebrities, you know everything about them and they have the most boring lives ever. Whereas David Nichols, I just think, I think he could turn anything into a funny story. So I would say I rate this book a five out of five. I know I dropped the five out of five bomb, but I think it's time. This book. The fact I've loved it for so many years now, about four years, I think shows how good it is. And whilst the film is not a good representation of this, if it means more people read the book, then that is a blessing. Definitely one of the best books I've ever read. According to my mum, I say that quite a lot. Um, but in my eyes, it is just truly phenomenal. I would say it opened my eyes to a lot of realities I hadn't considered before. And whilst it is tragic with the death of Emma, I think the end is very uplifting as Ian comes back into Dexter's life to help him. And he's married with two kids at this point, which I think is so sweet. I think Ian ends up with the life he deserves and he's so happy with it. I could see him and Dexter being lifelong friends because of their connection with Emma. And I know Sylvie's a very good help to Dexter. And, you know, despite cheating on him and stuff, they seem to have a really good relationship. They appear to be co-parenting co Emma, not Emma, co-parenting Jasmine so well. I think it's nice to see Dexter finally have the support system that he was lacking in his early to late 20s. So I think that's why he went so off the rails if he'd had such good platonic relationships rather than investing all of his time into romantic ones. I think he would have been a lot happier and perhaps not thrown his career down the drain and not got addicted to all the drugs and alcohol and going to these scary sounding underground raids and tunnels so obviously you can't change what's written and you can't change time but it's nice that by the end of the novel he has definitely grown 
So to conclude, I think Nichols is saying that love is always worth it. Love is love. You know, it's great. Go and hug somebody after listening to this because, man, after reading this book, I think we all need it. It literally took my heart out and, like, spat on it, trampled on the floor. It's funny watching people read the book because when you're about three quarters of the way through, you're like, okay, this book is fine, but I don't really see why people rave about it. Like, it's well written, but nothing much has happened. And then they read the last few chapters and it's like, boom. It's like a firework goes off and the book is just always cemented in people's minds after they read it. I don't know anybody that's read it and hasn't liked it, which is quite rare for a book, especially a romance book, actually. I feel like they're often more likely to be discredited because it centralises around romance. Um, But next week's book will be Mrs Dalloway by Virginia Woolf and I'll be joined by my lovely flatmate Tallulah. So it'll be interesting to see how different genders are perceived in this as compared to one day and I think as I said with Isabel earlier it's interesting that whilst this was written like 10 years ago 20 years ago the attitudes have already changed I would say so again it's very interesting looking at books from different time periods and how time has changed and yeah it it should be a good one next week so thank you very much for listening I hope you have a lovely book you keep reading and yeah that's all for now Bye.